Welcome to the Kaiser Human Performance Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to educate and inspire you to make the most of your journey in health and performance. Each episode will provide an in-depth discussion on a specific topic related to human performance. If you're a growth-minded individual seeking knowledge and better solutions, this podcast is for you. We're glad you're listening in and we're excited to learn alongside you. My name is Gabe Derman, and I'm alongside my co-host, Todd Tukin. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Scott Goldman. Scott currently serves as a performance psychologist for the defending champion, Golden State Warriors. For over 20 years professionally, he's provided mental health, wellness, and performance optimization for professional athletes from all major sports, Olympic gold medalists, and world record holders. He's the creator of the Athletic Intelligence Quotient, known as AIQ a mental analytics assessment used by sport organizations to identify performance-specific intellectual abilities and optimize player development. In this conversation, which includes some one-liners from Scott and maybe a couple movie quotes, we discuss the inception and implementation of AIQ. Towards the end of the episode, Dr. Goldman shares some exciting research related to AIQ and the correlation to on-field performance. To learn more about Scott and the AIQ, you can follow at AthleticIntelQ on Twitter or visit athleticintel.com. We enjoyed our conversation and hope you will too. Scott, thank you for being with us here today. Uh, before we get into some of the things related to the AIQ, we heard through the grapevine that you spent some time last week in Albuquerque at a balloon festival. <laughs> We got a lot to talk about today. We got a lot to talk about today, but before we start, we got to know how was the balloon festival? Honestly, it's an amazing thing. Uh, Being born and raised in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, uh, the balloon fiesta, which is the world's largest balloon festival, hot air balloon festival. It's just part of my DNA. So, you know, when people talk about comfort food or what, what it's like going home and all that, well, for me, going home is having a breakfast burrito with green chili from Hatch. Uh, and watching some hot air balloons lift off. It was an amazing experience. The only other person that I really know well that comes from the Albuquerque Sport Hall of Fame would be Tommy Shepard, the, the president for the Washington Wizards. So he and I will often exchange, you know, hatch green chili stories and balloon fiesta experiences. So did you go up in the hot air balloon? Did I go up in one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I have gone up in hot air balloons on several occasions. I've got some buddies that pilot them and you know, one of them, humble brag, one of my friends who's supremely talented, his name's Brad Rice, he can navigate and he'll have the gondola, the bottom part of the balloon, hit the Rio Grande River, and and which is a really hard thing to do because the Rio Grande River will kind of drag the balloon. So he touches down, splashes, and then goes off. It's it's an amazing experience. Uh, Todd and I might have to join you next time. You know what? You're welcome. I would I would be honored to share the experience with you and anyone else who's listening. Yeah, that sounds epic. We definitely need to make it down there. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, um, excited to get into this today. And, you know, your path to where you are now with the Golden State Warriors is impressive and includes a number of stops among several collegiate and professional organizations. As you reflect on your journey, what are some of the significant moments or pivot points that stand out to you and helped you get to where you are today? Whew. 
That is a heavy question. Uh, we're, we're coming out of the gates running. Um, you know, I get contact at least once or twice a week from folks saying like, hey, how do you get a job like yours kind of thing? And, and I'm very grateful and lucky and fortunate to have that kind of job. But one of the things that I say to a lot of people is like, I don't know if I could replicate it. Like, I don't know. It's really weird. I'm not even sure I know what I did to get to the spots that I got to. So for example, um, the last five jobs that I've held, um, let's see, currently Golden State Warriors, Chicago Cubs, Washington Wizards, um, Miami Dolphins, and Detroit Lions, all five of those teams created a position for me. And it was not like I applied for the job or it was a job that I was looking for. Um, and, and so it's interesting because in all of those situations, it was someone of influence, like a general manager or a head coach or a president saying, um, I really like what you're telling me and I want to bring you on board because I think you'll make us better. And I'll be honest with you, I can't even recall what it was that I said to each and every single one of those different teams um, that had that kind of impact. So I, I wish I could I wish I could figure it out and then I'd probably try to recreate it more often. But if you're asking for like, what were some career highlights or touch points? Um, I was one of the first embedded psychologists in an athletic department at the collegiate level at the University of Arizona. Um, and so that was kind of a rare space. And then Dr. Uh, Brian Hainline and, and Mary Wolford of the NCAA asked me to help contribute to the mental health task force and really help start this movement on mental health and well-being at that level. So I helped co-author the best practices and, and guidelines for the NCAA, which um, drew a lot of attention. And then the University of Michigan uh, brought me out and asked me to be their director of their uh, embedded program. And that was a real honor. And then, like I mentioned, it started to go and I migrated about seven, eight years ago into the pro space across those different teams, oftentimes working for multiple teams at the same time. Yeah, so uh, you're on your journey. You're making stops at different uh, organizations, as you had mentioned. And we're definitely excited to learn about the Athlete Intelligence Quotient, which we'll call AIQ for short today. Uh, before we dive into the specifics of it, tell us a story or the genesis behind that. Uh, what stop were you at? What was your inspiration for developing this assessment tool? Yeah, oh man, cool question. Thank you. Um, and it's interesting because it almost bleeds into the previous question, which is like the AIQ helped give me an audience with, with uh, teams and organizations that then led to me becoming onboarded. But then there's also been other times where my relationship with an organization or a team was an opportunity to introduce the AIQ to them. Um, so the AIQ and its origin story really starts. So um, I have two PhDs, one's in clinical psychology, one's in school psychology. And then in addition to that, I did some advanced training in performance psychology and exercise science kinesiology, which might make me the stupidest smart guy you've ever met or the smartest dumb guy you've ever met, because that's just a lot of training. Um, but while I was earning the two PhDs, when I was in school psychology, it was a lot of intelligence theory. So think like learning disabilities, think about you know, best practices for teachers and teaching mechanisms and helping the, the scholastic setting, right? Like teachers and learners, teachers and students, that kind of thing. 
and that relationship. And so while I was studying some of that theory, it was, and this is going to tell you how old I am, the big debate was between Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf. And it was like, who's the better quarterback? And what was interesting was, genetically speaking, like Ryan Leaf had this rocket of an arm. He was big. He was strong. He was fast. He was like everything that you look for in a prototype quarterback. But he really only had like one year of data. You know, he didn't had a very short sort of collegiate career. By contrast, you had Peyton Manning, who some questioned his arm strength and other these other kinds of physical attributes, but they went, man, this guy just keeps winning. And he comes from a, you know, a Hall of Fame family, like his dad was a, a legend in, you know, New Orleans, et cetera. And so I just started to go, gosh, this is a really interesting question. I wonder how people are evaluating um, talent and, and developing talent. And so this is going to be such an oversimplified way of describing it, but I kind of concluded, I think there's four buckets, right? So the first bucket is the physical. Are you strong? Are you fast? Are you agile? The second bucket is um, experience. Like, for example, you know what kind of point guard you're getting from Arizona. You know what kind of linebacker you're getting from Alabama. You know, what kind of systems do they run? The third bucket was intelligence. And that's really like, if you define sports as an unsolvable puzzle, which is kind of how I see it, right? It's this ever-evolving chaos. If sports is an unsolvable puzzle, what are the cognitive abilities you need to, to, to navigate that? So, you know, just to kind of go down that rabbit hole for a sec, it's kind of like, um, imagine you're a firefighter who has to kick open a door and then quickly scan points of emphasis of where to put the fire out, who to save and all that, like that's really complicated, especially during live time. It also happens to be a very similar cognitive skill to a quarterback who drops back and is now reading the defense and the defensive coverage. So um, I'm going, oh, and then the final bucket is personality, right? Like, you know, is this person going to be a, a locker room poison? Is he going to be somebody who makes our, our culture better and that kind of stuff? Like, what does he bring from a human interaction standpoint. So, um, so while I was kind of germinating on these four buckets, I'm like, well, I'm not gonna measure physical. Like that's someone else's domain. Experience, I'm not a coach. So that's also not my domain. But these two buckets, the personality and intelligence, that's the area that I, I think I can play in. Um, so at the time I was getting trained at a place called the Albert Ellis Institute which is a, a world renowned um, training facility. And Albert Ellis is considered like the Bill Belichick, if you will, of uh, psychology. Um, one of the definite pillars of the industry. It's funny because having been trained by someone as legendary as him and then going to a field like sports psychology where not very many people know him has been really an interesting experience because I'm like, hey, this guy's really sharp and I'm really honored to have sat at his feet. But it was while I was at the Albert Ellis Institute that I met my partner, Jim Bowman. And Jim, and I, I kind of talked to him about this Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning dilemma. And I go, I, I don't know how intelligence is really being measured. And he goes, you know, it's funny because this is something I've been working on a lot. And I think we could collaborate on this. So we spent 15 years. And the first question that we solved or attempted to solve was how do we define sport? 
and we define sport as um, that ever-evolving, constantly changing mechanism. And so we said, okay, where are the domains that we can study in addition to sport where that exists? So we looked at military, firefighters, first responders, police officers, um, astronauts, and then not just one sport like football, but all sports. And after spending about 15 years doing that kind of research and analysis, we came up with four broad abilities and 10 narrow cognitive abilities that we think are most necessary to navigate that space. And that we brought that to uh, we brought that to the NFL back in 2012. And um, it was really an interesting experience because um, at the time, no one was really doing anything like this. And so it was really kind of neat to be the first. It was also a fun challenge to try to educate because people are going like, I don't get it. And I said, well, you know that kid that um, it doesn't make sense why he's successful? Like he just doesn't look like a player, but then he gets out there and somehow gets the job done. And they go, yeah. I go, well, I think he's doing it in a way that you're not measuring. And they're like, really? Like what? And, and so, you know, just to give you a concrete example, in that 2012 draft, it was the first year that we, we um, tested people. We noticed a direct uh, inverse correlation between when players were selected and their AIQ scores, which if I were to kind of say it in, in a more digestible way, the higher the AIQ score, the later these guys were getting drafted. And Jim and I looked at each other and we were like, shoot, did we miss it? Like maybe, because if you think about it, the best players are the ones that get drafted early, not drafted late. So we're like, shoot, I think we're missing this. Well, five years later, we revisited the data and we found though there was an inverse correlation to when they were drafted, there was a direct correlation to when they got on the field. So they got on the field earlier in their career. They stayed on the field longer. And they also um, were more productive. We started to find things like a statistically significant correlation with rushing yards and interceptions and quarterback performance, you know, things like big plays and quarterback rating. And I mean, like really meaningful statistics. So I think what we discovered was that the league was over attenuating to the physical and missing out on this sort of cognitive piece. And, you know, one thing that I, I kind of point out, and I appreciate you letting me kind of ramble here for a while, is you have to be like, it's kind of like an amusement park, right? Like you have to be tall enough to ride the ride, right? So you can't take somebody with a strong AIQ profile if they're five, six with a surgically reconstructed knee, which is what I am, um, and have me be you know, have me play center for the Golden State Warriors. Like that just doesn't work. Like you have to be, you have to be tall. You have to be strong. You have to be athletic. In, in other words, you have to have all four buckets. Um, it's just a matter of uh, what we discovered was people were kind of measuring, you know, maybe three of the four or two of the four. And then they couldn't figure out why they were missing the mark. Um, like one specific story I remember with one of the teams we were contracted with, they absolutely loved this wide receiver in college. And he was physically like fast and he could jump. And I mean, he was amazing, but the game film showed he only ran three routes. 
And a lot of the coaches were just in love. They were like, wait till we get them in our system. Because they ran a multiple route option design, which really has a lot to do with, you know, the wide receiver and the quarterback having to be on the same page. You know, it's like, hey, we scan, we do a pre-snap read of the defense, whether defense is, is trying to show us. And then we make a decision of which route to run based off that. So they were like, wait till we get him in our offense, which is a lot more sophisticated and confusing. And his physical attributes, he'll be even more open. And so I, you know, said, look, so you got this bucket, but you don't have this experience bucket. You got the physical bucket, but you don't have the experience bucket because you only have um, three routes of film. You know, he ran basically a post, a skinny and a go. That was it. And I said, if we look at his intelligence score, his AIQ score, it shows that it's kind of low. And we said his personality was something that was kind of a push. Like he wasn't a hard worker, but he also wasn't locker room poison. So we said, this is a non-factor. This is an absolute bonus. This is also a mystery, the, the, you know, the experience. But, and the intelligence part is saying, yeah, he might struggle. So now this was a huge debate in the building. Do we take this guy hoping that he can understand this offense or do we let him go because maybe he's only a three route guy. And once he goes up against competition, that's as big, strong and fast as him, his biggest asset will now all of a sudden be negated. And that was our dilemma that we had to decide. What did they decide to do? Uh, they passed on him. And uh, and there was a couple of coaches that were really disappointed and frustrated until he went to a team with a similar kind of scheme. And he was, unfortunately for him and the team that drafted him, he was pretty unsuccessful. So it was like, again, this missing bucket that not a lot of teams are measuring was where the answer lied. And he ended up not getting a second contract in the league and not really producing very well. Yeah, I like where you started at first when you just started with the overall zoom out and say, okay, what's the definition of sport? Right? Like, okay, it's we we agree that it's this ever-evolving, unsolvable puzzle. And then from there, your four buckets. And I think when you would ask a lot of people, hey, what's important for a receiver, important for a football player, you hear like power, speed, like quickness, like, but you've identified these four buckets then after you've uh, defined what sport is. And then from there, you get into the AIQ and some of the things that the AIQ is assessing. You had mentioned that you have these four broad abilities uh, within the AIQ. So as much as you're willing to share in terms of the broad abilities, and if you even wanted to dive into the narrow abilities, which I believe you said there's 10 of those, break it down for us. What is AIQ measuring and how did you decide on those specific abilities? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I give my my partner Jim Bowman a ton of credit. You know, I mean, he 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 if if I'm the heart of the organization, he's the brains of the organization. I mean, what an incredible per person to team up with with this. And you know, another addition to to our team that happened later on was a, a young an early career professional named Alex Auerbach, who I met when he was a, a grad student. Um and I'm sorry, an undergrad student. He was a GA football coach at Arizona who wanted to be a sports psychologist. And he helped contribute to the evolution of our test of the AIQ. And he's now currently with the Toronto Raptors. He's their director of mental health and wellness. So um, 
you know, I'm happy to go into the details of the test, but I would be remiss to say, I think one of the secrets of what makes the AIQ so successful is the people that have contributed to it are really talented people like Jim Bowman and Alex Auerbach are just amazing uh, people to, to, to collaborate with. Um, the four broad abilities are broken down like this. Um, and sometimes the way I like to describe it or explain it to people is if you think about the 10 narrow abilities as being um, houses in a community, and then you've got the four broad abilities as being neighborhoods, and then you have um, the full-scale score, which is the overarching community, um, that's kind of like a neat way to do it. Or sometimes I'll say it's kind of like the full-scale scores, like the United States of America, the four broad abilities are states, Alabama, California, Texas, Florida, and then the narrow abilities are cities. So in, in America, we all have, say, like the same concept of pizza. And I might just be using this example because I'm hungry, but we all have the same example of pizza. But a slice of pizza in New York City is very, very different than the slice of pizza in California. But then there's also this unique variance, like, for example, a slice of pizza in New York City even though it's still New York, is very, very different than Buffalo. So the four broad abilities are visual spatial processing, the ability to kind of like scan and know where you are and kind of process what's going on. Um, you know, that includes things like being able to see the flow of the game evolve as it does in lifetime, knowing where things are happening next, that kind of stuff, knowing where you are in relation to other people and then finding an efficient route to get there. Uh, the second broad ability is reaction time. And reaction time is a stimulus response kind of thing. So think starter pistol goes off and runner goes. Or, um, you know, in football, it's the, the quarterback gives a hard count and the defensive or the edge rusher uh, goes after the quarterback. So our reaction time is broken down. Simple, bang, bang, but we also have a separate one where false information is present. So going back to the hard count example, um, if, if someone's more susceptible to jumping off sides, that can be an issue because when false information is present, their reaction time is significantly altered. We don't just measure speed of reaction time. The other thing that we do is we measure accuracy. Uh, I'm not aware of any other measure right now that's doing that. And I think that's an important distinction. So one of the things we discovered was a, significant, a statistically significant correlation with pre-snap penalties and offensive linemen regarding their reaction time accuracy. So false starts, for example, which makes sense. Uh, the third one is decision-making, the ability to make quick and accurate decisions. And then the fourth one is learning efficiency, the ability to download and recall information. So, you know, I wish that it was simple because then it would be easier to sort of explain, but cognitive functioning is really complicated. How people go about solving that puzzle is really difficult. And so um, to really do it right and to provide the kind of depth and breadth of it um, requires some deep dive explanation. But what's kind of nice is um, with the AIQ, we talk about not just um, sport-specific examples and terminology, but also position-specific. So when we provide the analysis and recommendations on our report, 
We're saying like, this is what spatial awareness means for a running back. This is what spatial awareness means for a, a linebacker. And this is what spatial awareness means for a quarterback. And those, those um, definitions and, uh, and analysis and recommendations, they came from me working in the industry for 25 years, Alex working in the industry, you know, for how long he's been in and also the, the coaches that I've worked with. So uh, football coaches, basketball coaches, hockey coaches, soccer coaches, baseball coaches uh, from the different places that I've worked, Arizona, Michigan, the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, have all helped contribute. So um, something that I'm really proud of that we've done is we've been able to translate these complicated concepts into really easy and digestible ways because in addition to it being a talent identification tool, it's really meant to be a development tool. So it's like, okay, what do we do with this guy now that we have him? The same way we might not ask someone who's five, six, myself, to play center, is the same way we might ask somebody with bad spatial awareness to be a winger. Yeah, I like the uh, analogy of the U.S., states and then cities within that and then as you were talking i was thinking about like man does scott just like watch sports in a totally different way like when there's a false start he's like yep oh and you know <laughs> we've, tested, we've tested yeah we've tested that guy like <laughs> you know what's funny is it's actually the opposite uh i actually will have coaches sometimes contact me describing aiq moments within the game so there was a super bowl where one of the defenses, um, their linebacking core as a collective, the AIQ data suggested for each of them, and, and again, as a collective, that they might be susceptible to misdirection. And the offense that was going against them in the Super Bowl did a misdirection play, uh, a pretty well-known one. Again, I'm going to keep it kind of vague just to honor um, the integrity of, of the individuals who are participating, but it was a pretty well-known and significant one in the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden I got like two or three texts from coaches that were not in the game going, that's the AIQ. They're making this, they're using this direction on those liner. That's exactly like, you know, what the data said. And that was kind of a cool moment. You know, there's been a couple of cool AIQ moments uh, throughout uh, its inception that have been really neat. And that was one of them. You hit on the four uh, broad abilities. Can you give us an example of, one narrow ability, one or two? Sure. Um, so uh, spatial awareness. Uh, spatial awareness is knowing where you are in relation to key landmarks, other people, teammates, opponents. So, you know, imagine, sometimes I call it kind of like the pinata test. So it's kind of like, imagine you're spun around and then you got to recalibrate where you are in relation to things and then, you know, kind of whack the pinata. That's what spatial awareness is. And I, I have found that to be incredibly valuable across all sports that we're involved and engaged in, whether it's, you know, it, you know the English Premier League or rugby in New Zealand or, um, you know, uh, football in America, NFL or NBA, because like, like, let's just use the NBA as an example. Spatial awareness is really about floor spacing. So let's just say hypothetically, there's a team that has a really dominant player who's constantly in motion, creates a lot of chaos because of how, how he can shoot from anywhere and is really good at just running all over the place and getting open. 
that kind of chaos is hard to defend. But as a teammate, you've got to make sure that you're not getting in his way. And you also have to be sure that you're available for a kickout pass because it's important for you to find kind of like the holes and the gaps out there. So that floor spacing and that spatial awareness can be a really valuable component that complements a player who, because again, if you get lost as to where you are, as he's running around, you could get in his way or you could be in, in, a, in a spot where you think you're open, but you're really not. Yeah, totally. I, I love the appreciation. Like, as you talk about this appreciation for like all of the small things that are involved in sport and all, and how all those things are affecting each other and how all those are intertwined. It's really nice to hear and listen to. Um, our understanding is that the AIQ can be implemented at any time. This can be something that's during the pre-draft process, which you've talked about a little bit. And then you also just mentioned that it's really used for development and then even beyond that analytics. So two parts to this question. My first is, how broad is the AIQ in terms of the people that you're testing? Is this only athletics? Is this across all sports? Is there another um, area and population that you're seeing with AIQ? And then how are you seeing it best implemented, like pre-draft process, development, analytics? Is any one of those, would you say, more important or are they just kind of all used together? Whew. Uh, all right. Good questions. Um, so we are in all five professional leagues in the United States. Um, we're with some teams in Europe. We're with some teams in New Zealand. We're with some teams in Australia. Um, but to your point, outside of sport, we've now migrated. Like there's a fire department in Colorado that's using us. There's a special forces unit in the military that's using us. There's um, there's some pilots that are that are. Uh, there's a a unit of air. Um, Air, air, I gotta think how to say this um, and still maintain some of their uh, privacy. That some uh, pilot, I'll just use the word pilots. There's some uh, fighter pilots that uh, are using it. And um, we've actually also been contacted by some medical schools. Um, and so we're in discussions with, with some of them. So I think what's really kind of cool is once you say, hey, what are the cognitive abilities for tackling a unsolvable puzzle, mutating puzzle, it can be used in a lot of different forums and formats. Um, the second part of your question is, you know, where's the best space for it? You know, we've always um, focused on providing a high fidelity of information. You know, you can't really visually see intelligence the way you can visually see someone run a 40 yard dash. So we said, look, we just gotta make sure that what we're measuring is accurate. And then what teams want to use it for can be up to them. What has been a pleasant surprise is talent identification, right? Like, does this person fit? Development, okay, now that we know who he is, how do we get the best out of him? Analytics, hey, you know, because intelligence is a genetically stable trait, it becomes a nice thing to factor into. In fact, um, you know, we've published a few academic white papers which again, humble brag, I don't know any other measure that's done that um, and shown statistically significant correlation with on-field performance in not just one, but two major leagues, baseball, MLB, and NFL. But uh, I've had several teams report to me that their analytics department has found more statistically significant correlation to performance 
than we found because we just did the AIQ. What they did was is they combined the AIQ with other measurables and came up with a more complicated formula, which I was like, oh, that's super cool that they found that. So I think all three of those domains are noteworthy. Going to the coaching domain for a second, the development domain, because I think that one's really exciting for me. Um, it's twofold. One is like, how do you teach them more efficiently? So just use a football, you know, in install meetings, not everybody learns the same way. So one person might do much better at watching game film and another person might do much better with walkthroughs. And so the AIQ can help us be more well-educated in designing how to teach each individual player most efficiently. And then the second development tool is making a decision about, you know, positional placement. So a concrete example, when I was at the University of Michigan, Coach Fish, uh, Jed Fish, who's now the head coach at Arizona, super brilliant mind, great person to really, I really enjoyed working with him. Uh, he asked me about a wide receiver. He said, we have this wide receiver who is amazingly fast, unbelievably physically gifted, but just can't quite do what I'm asking him to do in our passing game. So what? So we looked at the AIQ data and I said, okay, here's what I think it would take to get him to comprehend the playbook. But it was effortful. And there was a debate where Coach Fitch is like, I don't know if I can put that kind of time in the individual. What else you got? Because we don't want to cut this guy. He's just too much of an athlete. And I said, well, I think if you made him a defensive back and just had him be a cover cat, you know, just basically, you know, you're on 89, wherever 89 goes, you go with them. Then a lot of this cognitive stuff um, won't slow him down. And so that's what they ended up doing. He ended up getting drafted. And I think it's like the third or fourth round. I had a pretty sustainable career. So the thing that I love about the application of the AIQ when it's used that way is it, it eliminated the frustration that can happen. I've never met a coach that wants to mother F a player or enjoys it. I've never met a player who wants to be mother F'd and enjoys it. So with this kind of information, we eliminated that fight because sometimes people will make the assumption that the guy is lazy or the guy doesn't work when it's like, he's not lazy. He's just not able to process what you're telling him. So we eliminated that. The second thing that we did was, is we found a better fit, which led to the head, which led to the position coach, Coach Fish, being more successful because he can now focus more of his time and attention on those that could execute. And it also led to the player being in a situation where he could naturally grow and blossom. And ultimately, like both of them have had successful careers. And I'm not saying that this moment was the catalyst of their individual successful careers. Like there's way more that goes into all of that. And I want to be respectful of all the different influences like the strength coach and the nutritionist and everybody else. But I think um, someone told me this, like in the world of business, every business transaction is kind of a minor miracle because there's a thousand things that can go wrong and you only need one to cause the deal to be broken. I think it's the same thing in sports, right? Like there's just a thousand things that can go wrong and it just takes one, an injury or a disagreement or, you know, a misalignment and attitude, like all sorts of things. And 
you need to have everything be right in order to have that success. And so I think the AIQ really helps provide um, an additional piece of information that helps ensure the success or a successful outcome. Absolutely. Appreciate that. And um, a little bit interested about what it's like taking the assessment now. So let's give you a little bit of a hypothetical scenario. Uh, Todd and I are athletes going through the pre-draft process. And due to our unbelievably incredible physical gifts, uh, more so on Todd's end than mine. That sounds <laughs> so, <about> right. <laughs> someone, someone in a front office has decided we might be a worthy investment. Uh, we're asked to take the AIQ, so we're ready to take it. What are we seeing? What are we doing? Help us understand what it's like taking the assessment. Well, again, so having been, you know, for well over 10 years now, helping teams identify talent in the draft. Let me start by saying the two of you clearly look like first round picks, regardless of what league we're talking about. I mean, it's <laughs> no brainer why there's a debate. But let's kind of play this exercise out a little bit further and have a little bit of fun because the Peyton Manning, Ryan Leaf example is not an outlier. You know, there is stats. I think it's only 47% or 51% of first round quarterbacks end up not having successful careers. And so there's always this question mark of like, okay, well, why did this one go and this one didn't? So let's say the two of you are now in consideration and we are, and we'll just make up a team, like the Albuquerque hot air balloonists, to bring it full circle. The Albuquerque hot air balloonists Perfect. are an expansion program in the NFL and they've been awarded the number one draft pick and it's between Gabe and Todd. And so uh, the dilemma is, Gabe comes from a school that has a long list of well-regarded quarterback and development of quarterbacks. And I mean, it's just, that's a, just a dominant quarterback school and he looks great. And Todd actually comes from a place where no one's ever been really drafted very high before, but I mean, it's like, he's just one of these guys like, and see if you can figure out which quarterback I'm talking about right now. Maybe he comes from a small little town in California, a farm town, ends up going to a university when no one else was interested in him. And now all of a sudden, you know, is one of the best quarterbacks in the league kind of thing. Um, so that's Todd's journey. So that's the comparable, right? Um, so to walk you through it, both of you would come in and uh, you'd be each be given an iPad. You'd spend about 30, 35 minutes taking the test. The AIQ is comprised of 10 subtests. They take about two to three minutes in length each. And what I think both the players and the teams really appreciate is that, the, that it's a series of games. It's a series of cognitive tasks. They look like Candy Crush, to be honest with you. Um, and I think the reason why both players and teams like that is it's not language dependent. Because if you think about it, sports, isn't really language dependent. It's not culturally dependent. So, you know, going back to those four buckets, the personality measures that exist out there, they are language dependent and they are culturally dependent, um, which, you know, is to say, like, how do you measure someone who might come from a small farm town in Iowa and also a, an inner city area of Miami in Florida? Like those are two very different worlds. And so trying to capture that in a universal way. So, you know, when Jim and I were creating this thing, we made sure that we were robust or immune 
to socioeconomic status, race, religion, country of origin, ethnicity. I mean, all sorts of things that could be influential uh, and contribute to miscaptures of data. Um, in fact, uh, I think it was either last year's draft or the 2021 draft, 10 of the top 11 scores were minorities, um, which is interesting because one of the criticisms in, in some forms of testing, not just in sports, but others is that they can be culturally biased. And they are. Um, like for example, uh, in a traditional intelligence test, one of the questions that can be asked is what is a schooner? And that, I remember learning that and getting really frustrated because again, coming from New Mexico, I've never come across a schooner. I don't know what a schooner is. And for those that don't know, a schooner is a boat. So you have a you have a competitive advantage if you come from the coast, right? Because you've been exposed to schooners. I hadn't. So we took things like that. We threw them out. And we said, we're just going to focus more on the cognitive abilities that we know we can measure without bias. Yeah, me and Todd looked at each other like, we're both Midwesterners. Todd is from a farm in Iowa. So you described like, me perfectly I'm from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it sounds like he's Josh Allen. I'm Tom Brady. It's possible, right? And, and that becomes an interesting <laughs> yeah. question of these are two incredibly successful individuals at the top of their game, but they might be doing it in very different ways. And, and so, you know, it's funny because I, I've actually had GMs say, Scott, who should I pick, this guy or that guy? And I'll always say, like, I, I love the, um, the pressure and the intensity of the question, but I also say, like, um, if I can answer that or if I could predict that for you, I would ask for a lot more money, and I would also probably yeah. go to the owner and tell him that we can fire you and just put me in spot. Like, <laughs> this is all just us trying to make um, – you know, like well-educated guests. I mean, it's the same thing. Like if my financial advisor is so brilliant at investing in the stock market, what does he need my money for? He should be a billionaire. Like human behavior and human interaction is so complicated that all we can do is make well-educated guesses. What I think is interesting is the same way if you ever watch like poker, poker night on ESPN, which is a game of luck, but how come the five guys at the final table all seem to be the same dudes, right? So uh, Louis Pasteur has that great line about how chance favors the prepared mind. And I think when you have really good information, you can make well-educated decisions. And so one of the things that happens is trying to figure out what is noise and false information versus what's a signal to what would make a Josh Allen or a Tom Brady is hard, but there are some teams and some individuals that are unbelievably good at finding that talent. And I think part of it is they're well-informed. Um, that's one of the things that I think has been really cool with the AIQ. Going back to the, hey, should I take this guy or that guy? I said, I can't answer that for you. But what I can tell you is this guy's AIQ profile suggests He's more of like a sea ball, hit ball kind of guy. And this guy's AIQ is more of like a, hey, I can be clever and do things like, you know, delayed stunts and zone blitzes and a lot more complicated things. So you tell me which do you think would be a better fit in your organization. And that's, I think, part of how they, they led to their decision making of which one they took.
Yeah, that's a good distinction because I imagine you'd get a lot of general managers or head coaches coming to you and saying like, Hey, Scott, we want to make the best roster possible. We know technical skills are important, uh, but we want a roster that is intelligent and cohesive and fits together. Right. Like how do we do that? So I imagine that comes up a lot for you, right? All the time. And it goes back to like, you know, it's interesting because you have seen this, the quote unquote dream teams that just don't work. You know, whether it's like, oh, we're going to put a bunch of star players together, but we've only got one ball in basketball. Or, you know, again, you'll see this sometimes in the NFL where, oh, we've got everything in place, but we're just going to add a quarterback at the, at the, as the final piece. And sort of it's like, so what, what comprises a winning team is not just, oh, we're going to get the best individuals. It's really about like, we need to get the best interaction. Um, one of the statements that I'll give to teams when I'm working with them is I'll say, it's funny because we fall in love with players, but what we really desire is their production. It's production over person. And so what happens is you think when you grab player X, you're getting their production, but in reality, player X is a combination, or sorry, in reality, the production is a combination of player X and some of the environment that that is currently happening. And that environment can be, you know, some of the other players. So for example, a wide receiver is only as good as the left tackle can block, right? Because if a left tackle can't block, the wide receiver can't, you know, make long routes or deep routes. Um, that's one environment thing is just, you know, teammate capability. Another one is like, you know, don't underestimate the value of, say, a nutritionist who is forged a meaningful relationship with a player in a way where the player goes, I just don't want to let that nutritionist down. Like that kind of stuff happens. And so when we're looking for that production, I think we got to measure these four buckets that we talked about and really kind of go, okay, if we grab this person, do we understand his or her success? so that we can replicate it easily in our system. And if we can't replicate it easily, can we replicate it in a, in, and do we have the kind of resources and effort to replicate it in a more complicated way? Absolutely. And when you're looking at athlete intelligence, you mentioned it in passing before a little bit, is this something that's fixed or have you found that athletes can actually change on any of those buckets or any of the things that you're measuring? So that's, that's one of the more complicated questions to answer, uh, but I'll do the best I can. I think that there's two paths to this answer. Path one is you just say, yes, neuroplasticity, which is kind of a new theory. And when I say new, I mean the last 30, 40 years, neuroplasticity exists. And so what we can do is we can do all kinds of brain training mechanisms and things like that, that can, that can change one's intelligence. So that's one answer is yes. The other answer is no, that the idea is, and this is more consistent with the literature in intelligence theory, that intelligence is one of the most genetically stable traits that we have. The interesting thing is with the no, if you go the no route and you say intelligence is genetically stable, that doesn't mean a person is unable to execute a task. It just means you have to come up with compensatory strategies. So what do I mean by that? Going back to my height being short, if the nature of the task is to grab something from the top shelf, 
I just need a ladder or a footstool. That's not about me making myself taller. It's about me coming up with a strategy to get to the top shelf. So similarly with the no route of no intelligence is stable, you can't change it. It's not, you just go, okay, this person, let's say this person struggles to um, identify minute details in a crowded field, kind of like a where's Waldo task. If someone struggles with that, what you might do, like in the NFL, for example, is you might have him go through progressive reads rather than identifying and trying to identify the mic or try to do some pre-snap reads of what's going on. You go, you know what? We're going to simplify it. We're just going to have you go to the first read. If it's open, make the throw. If it's not, tuck the ball and go. And that's the kind of thing that's an easy fix solution. It doesn't require any additional money or anything else. It just requires a game plan. But in the ever-evolving game of sports, and you know, it's all about like cops and robbers. Once people start to figure out that that's what's happening, you're a one progressive read quarterback, they'll start to defend you in that manner. We know that if we cover the first one, he's going to go. And so then you got to come up with a different solution to that puzzle. If you go the yes route with the brain training stuff, well, there's a lot of products out there that um, claim to do that you know, claim to do just that. Like, oh, we get those mirror neurons or we get the neurons going and we change the way people can process information. Um, what I would share with you is there have been several teams that have used the AIQ, then ran them through a gauntlet of brain training devices that were sold to them. And then they did an AIQ uh, post uh, treatment and the AIQ scores didn't change. And, and so I, I think that's more consistent with the literature that's out there that says, hey, this is a genetically stable trait. And you mentioned that previously there had been some uh, research and some white papers published related to AIQ and on-field performance. Is there anything new in terms of the research that you're looking at or any layers that you're trying to peel back currently with AIQ that we can look forward to? Yeah, um, we just finished writing. One, so the first one was with the NFL. Second one was with Major League Baseball. So with the NFL, we looked at things like I mentioned earlier, rushing yards, interceptions, sacks, tackles for loss, like meaningful stuff. Um, the one with Major League Baseball was hitting and pitching. We found statistically significant uh, correlation with things like batting averages and you know strikeouts, ERAs, stuff like that. And then um, what's coming next is we've got a, an NBA study that's gonna show some of that data. And then we also have uh, the quarterback-specific one, where we're going to start to highlight and identify some of the things that we found with quarterbacks specifically. Those are coming next. Yeah, very cool. So for our listeners, where can people go to learn more about AIQ? And what resources would you recommend to our listeners related to anything in the scope of athlete intelligence? Sure. Um, so where I'd recommend is uh, like our website is athleticintel.com. And, uh, and as far as resources about athletic intelligence, like it's interesting, there's not really a whole lot out there um, doing it. So I, I think if someone wanted to explore it more, I would strongly encourage them to just, you know, reach out to us, you know, via that website, there's a contact you know, page and you can just email us. You can email us at info at athleticintel.com or you can, you know, reach out to me specifically. My email address is goldman 
at athleticintel.com or Twitter. Um, you're welcome to tweet. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm not much on social media, but I do get tweeted at a lot. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but I'm always happy to be a resource for people who are interested in this in this area. Yeah, I think I follow maybe like 800 people on Twitter. You're definitely in my top 750, so. Yes, <laughs> we did it. We did it. Top 750, here we go. Um, you're on the up. He's yeah. climbing the ladder right now. So yeah. you're saying there's a chance. Yeah, that's right. I knew you were good for one movie quote at least. There it is. Uh, um, so, okay, we'll make sure that we share uh, the things that you mentioned, the resources you mentioned in the published episodes. We appreciate that something we ask all of our guests on the podcast and it's our fun little uh, question to finish things off is what is your current training regimen like so um i have always enjoyed the kindness of friends and uh one of the strength and conditioning coaches that well let me go back. I feel like every question I've got like a super long answer for. So I appreciate you letting us kind of expand. I hope people are are enjoying the storytelling and the elaboration. I think sometimes this type of format allows us to go deep versus just a quick soundbite. But um, I've always enjoyed working with others. So the nutritionist, the strength coach, the head athletic trainer, like all like the whole ecosystem around sports. And that brings us back to, so I am very fortunate to have befriended some strength and conditioning coaches that have agreed to help give me a workout. Um, and so I follow the workout. I, I, you know, I work out every day and they give me, you know, every, like every month they give me a new, a new workout sheet. And, and I would love to give credit to the person who's helping me, the coach, uh, the, the strength and conditioning coach that's helping me, but I will politely not reveal his name because I don't know if he wants to take credit for the way this thing looks right now. So uh, I'm grateful for his help. That's awesome. So what are you doing? Just getting, what, what kind of, what kind of workouts are you doing? Yeah. So I, uh, I lift weights three times a week and then I do cardio uh, the other days, the other, uh, the other four. And, and so um, it's funny, like we go through cycles where we'll do like, uh, low, low weight, high volume kind of stuff. And then the other one is we'll go high weight, uh, low reps. Uh, what's nice is, you know, as a guy who's getting older and having his injuries, being a former athlete himself, like I, I I'm grateful because he's, he's folded in some things that just, he's like, he always asks me, what do you want to accomplish? I'm like, I just want to be able to run around with my kids while they're still willing to let me run around with them. And so a lot of it is like, you know, core, you know, like it's definitely not designed for the beach. You know, it's, I'm not there to, to, you know, which way to the beach, you know, kind of thing. But it, it is one of these things where uh, I can go and play baseball with my son at one of his practices. And some of the parents are 10 or 15 years younger than me and I can hold my own uh, that. So I, I give the strength coach who set me up a lot of credit for being able to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Making more out of the years you have. That's good. You well, have those relationships and you know being consistent in your training. It sounds like, yeah, you're you're a beast. You know, <laughs> I don't whenever, know a beast, but hey, if you're doing it every day, that's legit. So well, we try. Yeah. I mean, just basically set up the training so you can continue to eat green chili burritos. That'd be great. 
<laughs> well, um, that's awesome, Scott. We really, really appreciate uh, you coming on with us today and talking a little about AIQ. And like I said, we'll make sure to share all those resources that you had mentioned. And it was a fantastic talk. We're definitely looking forward to learning more about it and seeing how it continues to evolve and kind of monitoring. And I know at least this Sunday when I'm watching the NFL, I'm going to be watching it through a little bit of a different lens. Uh, so we're excited about that. So thank you for your time. You know, one of the things is uh, we have a, an early career professional who has been, who has access to our database and has taken over our, our Twitter account. And one of the things that she's doing is every Sunday she's watching and matching AIQ events. So, you know, player X just made this amazing catch and it's consistent with his ability regarding this. And, and there's been a lot of people have been having fun um, following that. Cause I think, like you said, it's, it is, it's just a different way to watch the sport. Yeah, I saw like uh, Garrett Wilson will make a catch, right? And then he's like spatial awareness. I've followed the account and I've been watching that too. So I'm kind of scrolling through as I'm watching all the games and I saw that. So that was very cool. Is that, like that the top 750? Yeah. Uh, it just made, just made it. <laughs> and now I know two of your 750. That's fantastic. Keep up the great content and uh, you might you might make it into the 600s. Woo. <laughs> you know, a young company can dream. <laughs> so anyway really appreciate it it's it great to, to be on here with you today so thank you oh thanks for the opportunity yeah thanks for your time we appreciate you tuning in to this episode of the kaiser human performance podcast to stay up to date on all things kaiser follow us at kaiser fitness on twitter instagram and facebook for more content you can visit our kaiser fitness youtube page and at our website, www.kaiser.com. Thank you, and have a great day.